Again, good morning, brothers and sisters. I hope you've taken to heart Pastor Jim's email that encouraged you to start meeting together with cohort families in preparation for us eventually being able to join together and meet with a little bit more normalcy than we have in the last month and a bit. Um, also, if any of you missed the memo, the elders sent out an email and we were just wanted to let you know that we've considered uh, several options and we are uncertain what the outcome of the next few weeks will look like. It is our desire, Lord willing, to be able to provide some sort of regathering for shared worship on the 28th of June. What exactly that's going to look like is still very much up in the air, but we will keep you informed to the best of our abilities. So that'll be June 28th. We're looking at hopefully starting to regather in person, and that will be when Jim gets back from his little sabbatical for his first grandbaby, and Lord willing, baby will be safely here, and he can give us an update on that. Last week, our message focused on the supremacy of angels, but I feel as though I may have overstepped with some assumptions in a certain area. I had said that uh, many of you who are churchgoers and have been for the last number of decades will remember that the church in the late 90s and early 2000s was heavily steeped in talk about angels. Who are they? What do they do? What do they look like? Where are they? Do we have particular guardian angels, etc., etc.? I also said that most of us don't have an overinflated view of angels, and that seems to have been the case with the original audience of the book of Hebrews. While I still contend that much of the church's collective fascination with angels has faded somewhat, I honestly can't say that I know, and I know that Pastor Jim would say the same, that many of us don't know exactly where, where we stand as far as angels go. Do we have a good understanding as to who they are, what they do, their purpose, and why they exist? So that's why I decided last week to leave verse 14 out of my sermon. I think we should have a brief refresher course on the purpose in particular surrounding the host of heaven. So I'd ask that you'd pray with me as we get started this morning, and we will dive into angels. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can gather in this manner. We are so grateful that we are starting to see a, a horizon on this thing that we're starting to see opportunity for us to meet together again as we so long to do. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to use our time well while we're in the midst of this social isolation thing. And Lord, you know that our desire is again to meet together as one body in physical form. And Lord, we just pray that you would hurry that and that you would bring about the healing of the nations in the midst of this COVID business and that you would bring about the healing of the nations by the sharing of your gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we spend some time this morning talking about angels, I just ask that um, this would be an encouragement to your people that they might come to a better understanding of an oft misunderstood area and Lord, we trust your Holy Spirit to make clear to us the, 
the truth of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to spend some time on the who, the what, and the why of angels. Who are they, what are they, and why do they exist? And I want to start by a reminder from my message last week that our interest in angels should arise out of a desire to glorify Christ and to better understand his work. Christ, we are told in Hebrews, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But the Bible does tell us about angels. Some 200 plus times it mentions angels and we are told that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So it is our responsibility to attempt to rightly understand the topic of angels and to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to understand what he says in scripture through, well, through scripture about angels. And we also want to keep in our mind the heavenly hierarchy firmly implanted there, recognizing that Christ is first and foremost. So first up, who are angels? Two different types of angels are identified in scripture, cherubim and seraphim. And then we're given three particular angels that um, are mentioned in scripture, and those are Michael and Gabriel, as well as the angel of the Lord. The cherubim are the first angels mentioned by name in scripture. We're told in Genesis 3.24 that upon the fall of mankind and with their subsequent expulsion from the garden, God placed a cherubim with a flaming sword as a guard against anyone again approaching the tree of life. Then in Ezekiel, the cherubim are described this way. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides, they had human hands. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had a face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. Their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. It should come as small wonder to us that humanity would be so fascinated by creatures such as these. And certainly they would seem to be worthy of worship if we didn't know the master that they come from who is so much more glorious than they are. Cherubim in particular are never shown to speak in scripture. Their presence is associated heavily with the presence of the Lord, so much so that upon the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubim with their wings outstretched over the mercy seat of God. We are told very little of these creatures, but we can identify them as a part of God's heavenly host. Then we're told about the seraphim. The word seraphim literally means burning ones. In Isaiah 6, we're told 
They each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. With two of their wings, these seraphim cover their faces. As a man covers his face before something dazzling, dazzlingly bright, a welding flash of the sun, so the seraphim cover their faces before the dazzling glory of God. And then they also cover their feet with another two of their wings. Throughout scripture, feet profoundly represent creatureliness. And we recognize, and we'll talk a little bit about this more, but angels are created creatures. So they cover their feet because they are so much lower, so much below the glory of their master. And with their third set of wings, they fly, always ready to respond to the will of their master at a moment's notice, ever prepared to serve him as he commands. And those are the only two classes of angels that we have been told of. But at the same time, nowhere in scripture are we given to understand that we know everything about the heavenly host. There could be as many classes and races among angels as there are classes and races among mankind. We may be only told of two angel classes, but we're also presented with three particular angels multiple times throughout scripture, that being Gabriel, Michael, and the angel of the Lord. Gabriel appears in the book of Daniel as well as the book of Luke. Book of Luke. He appears to Daniel preaching of the things to come about the exile of Israel and as well as the coming of Christ. He preaches the coming of John the Baptist to Zacharias and the birth of Christ to Mary. So we have Gabriel and then we have Michael. Michael is identified as an archangel. We're not told whether there are multiple archangels or simply Michael, but the language of the, the passages suggests that he might be the sole archangel among God's heavenly host. And it gives r rise to discussions about the ranks and positions within the angelic host. But we're told nothing beyond this about how the armies of heaven are organized. Michael is, however, identified as having particular responsibility in contending against Satan and his fallen angels. Indeed, from the descriptions found in Scripture, Michael must be truly impressive. But he points us to the one who created him over and over again, the one who holds total command over all the angels, and he is pointing to Christ. Speaking of Christ, the final specific angel mentioned in Scripture is the angel of the Lord. This has been the source of much confusion throughout the years, but from my study, I am convinced that the angel of the Lord, as called by that title in the Scriptures, is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. Imagine the story of Moses and the burning bush. Who is it that's speaking to Moses from the bush? If you ask any Sunday school child, who is it that is speaking here? The, the answer would be Moses is speaking to God. But at the beginning of Exodus 3, Scripture says, 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God requires Moses to remove his sandals, which was a sign of worship. And he identifies himself as God. And the beginning of this passage says that speaking out of that bush is the angel of the Lord, but later it identifies as God. You can also look at the almost sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took a knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this, you have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." The angel of the Lord says to Abraham, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. And most of your translations will have that Lord all capitalized as it is the name of the Lord. These are only two of many appearances that the angel of the Lord makes in the Old Testament. The identity of who this angel of the Lord is is important because it informs how we treat angels as well as our understanding of Christ. If the angel of the Lord is simply an angel, then obviously angels would be worthy of worship because the angel of the Lord regularly commands people to worship him. And that's obviously not the case as we've looked at earlier in the book of Hebrews. And also if we recognize that the redemptive plan of the triune God wasn't a plan just thrown together to fix this unanticipated problem of man's rebellion, but rather it was a series of events meticulously planned before the dawn of time that ultimately would display God's glory, then we shouldn't be surprised to see Christ appearing throughout the Old Testament as a part of that plan. I have a really hard time imagining Christ as an inactive bystander in the course of human history up until his birth at the Incarnation. But if we see Christ as the angel of the Lord, we recognize how truly active he was throughout the whole redemptive process of God. 
So that kind of wraps up the who of angels, but what are angels and why do they exist? I combine the what and the why of angels because scripture tells us that they are intimately wrapped up in their purpose. First and foremost, I want to be clear, angels are created beings just as you or I. Psalm 148 says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Angels are lumped in here with the created order. As God created sun, moon, stars, heavens, earth, creatures, mankind, he also created the angels of heaven. In the incarnation of Christ, we are told that the eternal second member of the Trinity for a time became lower than the angels. That's found in Hebrews 2.7, which is in turn quoting Psalm 8.5. And this places us in the same category. If Christ as the greatest man is less than the angels, then you and I certainly are lower than the angels. The angels are created and they are indeed greater than mankind. We are told in Hebrews 1 that the angels were created as ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. The reason why I wanted to touch on angels being greater than man is to point out a particular instance of a man being ministered to by angels, and that is Jesus Christ. Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4 all mention the temptation of Christ. And at the end of his 40-day trial in the wilderness, both Matthew and Mark mentioned that angels ministered to Christ. Throughout scripture, the ministry of angels breaks down into three main categories. Angels guide, they protect, and they strengthen or they encourage. As a man, Christ had all of the same frailty that all humanity is prone to. These angels saw to it that he was cared for after he passed through this 40-day trial. And if Christ was at times in need of the ministry of angels, so you too will be in need of their ministry. But before we get too wrapped up in angels and their purpose of ministering to those whom God has called to inherit salvation, I want you to remember the object of the angel's affection is not us, at least not ultimately. In all things, the angel's priorities remain oriented towards the glory of God. We are ministered to as God sees fit because these angels are his servants, not because they are ours. Just as a guest comes into the house of a nobleman or a king, we should not presume to order around his servants. 
I wanted to touch on that quickly because there are elements within particularly the prosperity gospel movement that sees angels as servants to humankind that can be ordered around at, at our whim and pleasure. I want to read to you a piece out of um, the Creflo Dollar Ministries website, and I want you to recognize the the false teaching that is going on in this in this manifesto. They put they posted this on their website under the title "Angel Power Confession." Here, this this uh, I don't even know what to call this, but. Listen to what they have to say. Because I am the righteousness of God, angels have been sent to minister to me. They respond to the word of God which I speak, therefore I loose angels with the words of my mouth. I say today, let the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in my prosperity. In the name of Jesus, I command the angels to bring to me prosperity in my spirit, in my home, in my body, in my family life, and in my finances. I declare promotion and command the angels to bring promotion into my life. I have a blood-bought covenant promise from God Almighty to multiply exceedingly. Therefore, I confess I am exceedingly fruitful and blessed right now in Jesus' name. I command the angels of God to go and bring this covenant to pass in my life. Now I have the power to get wealth and release the angels to bring wealth into my life. I declare right now that I am healthy, healed, delivered, and freed from the bondage of sin. I am the head always and never the tail. I am above only and never beneath. I lend, not borrow, and everything I put my hand to prospers. I walk in the favor of God, and my favor is increased even as I am speaking. I have more than enough money to pay every bill that comes in, and I declare I am totally free of debt now. I have the authority of heaven, and in the name of Jesus, I declare that whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever I loose on earth, it is loosed in heaven. I send my angels forth right now to do God's pleasure and bring these words to pass. Angels, go now and minister prosperity unto me. Who is the focus of the angels in that so-called confession? It's certainly not God. Shockingly, the author of that travesty of a confession even bothers underneath to give scripture references. And these scriptures that he takes, he is twisting in a horrendous way to make it to fit his, his desires and whims. Brothers and sisters, I don't want your thinking to become twisted. God commands his angels concerning us. You and I are not the commanders of heaven's armies. Christ is. A favorite music artist of mine, a Christian hip-hop artist by the name of Shai Lin, wrote a song that absolutely railed against the prosperity gospel and its exportation out of America into the world. And one line from the song says, if you come to Jesus for money, then he is not your God, money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. And unfortunately, a lot of our world tries to use angels as a workaround to this problem. Well, I can't tell Jesus what to do, I can't tell God what to do, but God told his angels to minister to me, so I'll just tell them what to do, and that's how God wants me to be happy, healthy, wealthy, whatever. 
Roger Ellsworth has a great thing to say. He's a pastor at Parkview Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. He says, one of the sadnesses of our day is that so many are intensely interested in angels who have little to no right to their ministry. It is an incredible irony that so many are trying to use the angels to bypass Christ while the angels themselves are commissioned to serve only those who know Christ. We shouldn't be our own priority. We are not the priority of angels. The rightful priority of all of creation, us and angels alike, is God. So we know that there's at least two types of angels, cherubim and seraphim. We know about Gabriel and Michael and the angel of the Lord, which I would argue is the pre-incarnate Christ. And we know that angels are created beings by created higher than mankind. Angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. But they're sent by Christ for the glory of God. The last area I wanted to touch on is this idea of guardian angels. I wanted to touch on it because it is something that has gotten a lot of airtime both in the Christian and the secular world. Many believers have been taught one way or another, and non-believers as well, that every Christian and maybe even every human has a dedicated guardian angel. And that idea is based on one verse coming out of the parable of the lost sheep. In that parable, Christ warns, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. If you missed it, that little part where it says, in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And that is the kind of linchpin word for pretty well this entire idea of guardian angels. The little ones referred to in this passage are believers, not just children, but Christian believers, true followers of Christ. But that verse is basically the extent of the um, scriptural evidence regarding guardian angels. Now before anyone starts writing me angry letters or something, I am not up here to say that we certainly do not have dedicated guardian angels. We simply are not given enough information in scripture to say that one way or another. And I'm just saying that before we build such a heavy emphasis on this idea of guardian angels, um, we need to recognize that it's not something we're told much about. Calvin was quoted as saying, whether individual angels have been assigned to individual believers for their protection, I dare not affirm with confidence. We ought to hold as a fact that the care of each one is not the task of one angel only, but all with one consent watch over their salvation. Yet it is not worthwhile anxiously to investigate what it does not much concern us to know. For if the fact that all the heavenly hosts are keeping watch for his safety will not satisfy a man, I do not see what benefit he could derive from knowing that one angel has been given to him as his special guardian. The idea here is all angels are told to watch over the, the believers that... God has called to himself. And if the whole of the heavenly host is being tasked with watching over God's children, then why do we need a specific one that, is, that we can call our guardian angel? 
My brothers and sisters, as we wrap up this morning, I wanted to point something out. What I want to talk about here is the care and concern and provision of the Lord for each one of us. In the end of that parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18, Jesus says, It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. The Father cares for and protects his flock. From before the world came into existence, he knew and cared for each one of his children. He knew each one that he would call to himself. Brothers and sisters, he knew you before the beginning of the world and he has cared for you from the beginning of the world. And there's been so many ways that that has occurred throughout your life and mine that we haven't even recognized. But we do know that God has indeed commanded his angels concerning us. And I want us to recognize, and the whole point here is that we don't fall prey to that age-old trap of exchanging the created for the creator. We don't get so wrapped up in angels that we don't realize that it is God who has sent those angels to minister. And before we get down on ourselves for any time that we have done this, recognize that even the apostle John dealt with this. In the very closing words of scripture, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, verses eight and nine, we read of John saying this. And he, an angel, said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. And he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book worship God. All creation worships God. I must worship him. You must worship him. The angels worshiped him. All of creation was created through and for Christ. And I wanted to take some time this morning to help us understand the role that angels play in God's story. It is important that we appreciate that God has created the angels and that he has used them to minister to those who have trusted in him. But before Christ, the Lord has made his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. I spoke a little bit about that in our last message that before Christ, before the surpassing greatness of Christ, angels are but a mist on the wind or a flare of fire that flares up and is gone. Christ is so much more and so much greater and he has commanded his angels regarding us. And in any passage where we see the work of the angels on behalf of God's people, we shouldn't be looking and having our eyes pointed towards the angels, but that should immediately point us to the caring work of our Lord and Father and of Jesus Christ. Angels exist that God might be glorified, just as we do. I want to thank you for 
worshiping together with me this morning. And I ask that you would have a blessed week. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you and have a great week and I look forward to, Lord willing, seeing you again soon.